0: you're new with us today, my name is David Cassidy. I'm the lead pastor here at Spanish River, and it's a joy to welcome you. And you have come to us on a Sunday where we're in the middle of a series called One Heart and One Mission, where we're taking some Sundays together that will lead up and culminate in that celebration Jimmy was talking about a few minutes ago on November 21st, a commitment Sunday where we are recommitting ourselves to the vision that God entrusted to this congregation a generation ago. And we're using language to describe those priorities. We've talked about how Christ is to be known in all the world. Every person needs Jesus. And when the Lord saves us, he gathers us into colonies of the kingdom here on the earth called churches. Everyone needs Jesus and a great church to call home. And because of that, we not only go into the world sharing Christ with other people, but we plant churches here and around the world. And we describe our mission here at Spanish River Church as being a people who are to bring the transforming life and love of Jesus Christ to our members and our neighbors and the nations in every generation through the gospel in word and deed and sign. That's what our mission is. And we're going through that. We've got a devotional guide we've been using together. There are three devotionals per week, and if you've brought yours with you today, these devotionals spring out of what we say on Sunday morning, and we'll be over on page 31 primarily this morning if you're wanting to follow along in person or online. And everything we've been talking about begins to flow together. There's there's a, a logic to the progression that we're making here as we begin to discover how God is working in our lives. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at hospitality, about how the Lord welcomes us to the feast of his kingdom, and that our response to that great welcome is to come into that feast and to receive him, to welcome him in our hearts as he welcomes us in his presence, and we begin to worship him. The response of God's people to the grace of God is a response of hungry, thirsty hearts to an unrivaled and unparalleled generosity. And this morning, we want to look at the sacrificial generosity that the gospel creates in our lives, kingdom generosity. And I'm going to ask you to turn over to Matthew chapter 2 with me, and um, we're going to read this morning about the the Magi and their visit to Jesus at Bethlehem. And if some of you are going, oh, my goodness, Pastor, it's only November and you're already in Christmas texts, you must be one of those guys who starts playing Christmas music in, like, November or something. Well, far from allaying your fears, let me confirm your worst suspicions. I started in September. I'm believing out Christmasing everybody that we possibly can. As you're on your way over there, I just wanted to share a couple of stories with you. Um, this is this is about four years ago, four or five years ago. Elizabeth Jensen was a young lady in Provo, Utah, and she was getting married. She was shopping for her wedding dress, so she's out with her dad and her mom. And they're having that remarkable, beautiful family moment where you go into the dress shop and she's picking something out and she picks out one dress. It's absolutely fabulous. It's magnificent. It's just perfect. And then, of course, she sees the price tag and feels led to put it back. (laughs) And and then she goes over to another area which is a bit more price-friendly and she finds a dress over there and and it's, it's great and she picks that out and takes it up to the counter. And she's going to purchase the dress her dad's standing there with her to, to make the purchase. And the and the person checking her out says, Well, didn't you like that other dress? And she said, Well, yeah, I love that other dress. That was magnificent. But, you know, it's a little on the high side. It's, it's, it's a lot on the high side. That's a different, that's a different tax bracket altogether. And she said, But you did like it. And she said, Well, yeah, of course. Who wouldn't like it. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's perfect. And she said, Well, put that dress back because Because um, an anonymous patron who was in the store just a little while ago paid for that dress for you to take it home with you today. See, I knew that's exactly what you would say. I knew there'd be a whole bunch of, oh, isn't that great? Not an amen, but oh, man, that's so great. Hey, another story, other end of the spectrum. A few years ago, a huge hurricane, Hurricane Harvey, came crashing in on the Gulf Coast in Texas, created tremendous devastation in the Houston area. Uh, An American football player, J.J. Watt, who at the time was playing for the Houston Texans, wanted to respond to the tremendous damage and disruption that that horrific storm caused. And so he wanted to leverage his position as a very well-known and and, uh, wealthy athlete to try to encourage other people to make contributions to meet the needs of people. And so he had a goal of raising $200,000 to help victims of of the hurricane well he didn't get two hundred thousand dollars he got two hundred thousand donors two hundred thousand donors who contributed thirty seven million dollars to the effort so in other now, now see there's another that wasn't an amen wasn't it? it was like a, oh so here's what i knew would happen this morning i knew i would get oh and then i, I knew i would get oh Why is it that we respond this way to these stories of generosity? Human beings are made in God's image, and there is something in every single one of us that rejoices in generosity because our God who made us is generous and created us to be a generous people, he put the family image inside of us, and every single one of us over the next couple of months are going to be engaged in acts of generosity, where we're going to be looking for just the right gift, just the perfect size, hoping it's exactly what this person who we love or cherish is going to enjoy. We long for that moment when they open it on on Christmas Day, and they go, "Oh, it's just what I wanted!" And when that happens, what is what is that? What goes on in your heart? What goes on in your heart is I hope. They're not lying, right? I hope that's what's happening there, right? I hope they really mean that because you, in your heart, you sought for that gift that you could give to someone that was exactly what they needed. And God, when he looked at us, knew exactly what we needed and gave us the gift of his son this astonishing generosity in the heart of God has been on display since the very first moment that he said, let there be light. God's generosity is seen in creation and it's seen in redemption. Let's just think for a minute about God's generosity seen in creation. I put a few things in here for you. There are, on the planet, 391,000 different kinds of plants. There are 200 different kinds of potatoes. You know, there are 700 different kinds of apples. There are 10,000 varieties of grapes. There are 90,000 different kinds of rice. So much rice, so little time. There there are 60,000 different kinds of trees. If we go down to the beach, we look out at the ocean, out there, there are over 18,000 different kinds of fish. There are 400 different kinds of sharks. Did we really need so many ways to perish? I don't know, but there you go. If we look up at the sky, there are six. There are over 10,000 species of birds. If we, if we look on the ground, there are over 900,000 different kinds of insects. Most of them near my apartment, apparently. <laughs> there are, there are, there are 3,500 different species of mosquitoes. Oh, man. Man, wasn't one enough? I, and that has to be a post fall issue, right? I mean, like before the fall, they were like violin players or something. And then sin happened. That's what happened to mosquitoes. If you look up, there are somewhere between 100 and 400 billion different stars just in our galaxy. And there are millions upon millions of galaxies. And inside each of us, there are 150,000 to 400,000 different platelets in a microliter of our blood, and we have 10,000 taste buds. Yeah! Isn't God good? Like your dog has 400 taste buds, you've got 10,000. That's why there's so many different kinds of restaurants. God has been so good. <laughs> but his creational, radical generosity, you see, is meant as a gift to us. Did God need stars to fulfill something in him? Did God need sharks? Did he need planets and galaxies to fulfill something in him? No, all of creation is an amplifier for his goodness. Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that through what he is made, he displays his invisible attributes. And so in every aspect of creation, including the person sitting near you, you see who he is, the image of God. Now, that image has been marred. It's been vandalized by the fall. And we are often blinded to the goodness of God on display, his generosity, which is so remarkable. And that's why he gives us the riches of his grace. And he displays his abundance, not only in creation, but supremely in redemption. And we see an example of this here in Matthew chapter 2, if you want to follow along, It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. So one of those stars, one of those constellations in the heavens that God had fashioned, not for anything in him, but because of the need he knew we 'd have one of those caught the attention of these Persian magi, these soothsayers, these watchers of the stars and planets, and it indicated to them that a great king was born in Jerusalem, and so they came i 'm going to drop down here now; it says that Herod was troubled in all Jerusalem with him and Assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared and he sent them to Bethlehem saying go and search diligently for the child and when you have found him bring me word that I too may come and worship him that was a lie After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts. Gold and frankincense and myrrh, and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. May God help us all to go home a different way today. I won't take the time to go into gold and frankincense and myrrh today, but I want you to catch something that happens here. They are brought by the visible generosity of God in the stars as far as Jerusalem, to get all the way to Bethlehem, they needed not the witness of the stars, but the witness of the Scripture. Where is the Messiah to be born? And they turned to the prophet Micah. Micah got them to Bethlehem. The star got them to Jerusalem. The Scriptures got them to Jesus. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And for in response to all the gifts he'd given to them... They opened treasures to him. Now, here's my question for you this morning. Who came away from this encounter richer? Jesus or the Magi? Well, you know the answer. It's the Magi. We never give God treasures he doesn't already possess. Did God need the stars? No. He gave them to us. Did God need all the fish and all the birds? No. He gave them as gifts to us. Jesus comes on the scene and he does not need the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. The wise men need to give it. They need his presence. And so the response to God's presence is a radically generous offering of themselves unto him. We give God nothing that he does not already possess. What happens is when the generosity of the creator strikes our heart, it creates in us a generosity not only of love to him but towards other people. You see, if I said to you this morning, do you love the Lord? Uh, Many of you would say, well, yeah, I do. And if I said to you, why do you love him? You would say, I love him because he first loved me. Everything is a kind of reciprocal response from a redeemed heart to the grace and the mercy of God. No matter how materially poor you may be this morning, if you are a Christian, you have been made rich in grace and mercy. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John three sixteen tells us that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have, hear this, the most astonishing possession of all, eternal life. Paul would put it this way, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that even though he was rich for your sake, for our sake, he became poor so that we, through his poverty, might be made rich. The most wealthy being of the universe, forget the Jeff Bezos Elon Musk, Bill Gates, clan, the most wealthy being in the universe, subjected himself to the most abject poverty possible, the most terrifying and humiliating of deaths in order to bring us the most satisfying riches that any person could ever know, the riches of grace and mercy of forgiveness and eternal life, bringing us from death to life, bringing us from hell to heaven. It's the greatest gift anybody could give, and it's exactly what we needed. And when we open this gift, of course, with the wise men, we say, it's just what I needed. Bless you, Lord for your generous love to me. But that makes us into, you see, you've heard people talk about a mega church. I want Spanish River to be a Magi church. What kind of church you go to? We go to one of those Magi churches. (laughs) It's a Magi church where we constantly return to the Lord and offer him the glory, the praise, everything in our lives that we have because he's been so good to us. You see, every member generosity arises because every member is a recipient of a gracious generosity. Every single one of our members is called upon to honor God with giving, every single one of our members, not a few, you don't go, well, well, those are the, the, the people with, with lots of resources, they, they have something to give. Every person, even people that have no money to give, have other ways of giving. If you're somebody this morning who, who doesn't have any money to give and you're thinking, well, I don't have anything to give, you give your heart. What can I give him? Poor as I am. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. If I were a shepherd, I would give, give a lamb. What should I give him? give him my heart. You give time. You give kindness. You give mercy to people. Do you forgive? Yes. Why do you forgive? Because you've been what? Forgiven. You give mercy? Yes. Why? Because God has given you mercy. That's the reciprocity of the kingdom. How does it work? How do we understand what happens in a Magi church? How do we steward this generosity to God? In these last few minutes together with you, I want to give you just a few things. First of all, we need to realize that God gives us both, every single one of us, gives us both seed and bread. And you have to learn the difference between the two in what you possess, seed and bread. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 8 through 10, Um, Paul says this, he says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you will have an abundance for every good deed. As it is written, he he, uh, gives to the poor and his righteousness abides forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread to the eater, seed and bread, will multiply your seed and your bread for a harvest of righteousness in your life. All right, so he gives you seed and bread. Now, here's, a, here's just a very important life lesson. What should you do with the bread? What should you, he says, "Buy seed to the sower and bread to the eater. What should you do with bread? Eat it. But you should never eat your seed. If you eat the seed, you have no bread next year. You've got to sow the seed. So everything that we have in our lives could be in one of these two categories. Bread that we consume and seed that we sow. And every single person sitting here has some aspect of that in their lives. Every human being This is not just a Christian thing. This is every single person. And that's why in every single human being there is a rejoicing and generosity. There's a sense of like, yes, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to look at other people in need and I begin to face out towards other people. It's not just, there's something we know that is toxic and wicked and evil if we turn everything in on ourselves. In the last century, one of the most wealthy and twisted of individuals, J. Paul Getty was asked, how much do you need? And his answer was, more. Always more. But you see, there's something inside of us that knows we've been blessed. And so with Abraham, God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you and make you to be a blessing. In fact, Paul goes on to describe three qualities of this sowing action, three qualities of our giving. Here's the first one, joyful. Joyful giving. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, no one should give under compulsion. No one should give under compulsion. No one should give because they've been manipulated into it, made to do it. These are not dues that we pay. Everybody gives, he says, as God puts it in their hearts. He talks about a grace that is given in their hearts. And he says, everyone should give not under compulsion, but as they've purposed in their heart, because God loves a what kind of giver? cheerful giver the greek word is where we get our word hilarious god loves a hilarious giver now i'm not saying that every time you drop off an envelope or you go online to give you give once a year once a month once a week however it is you give you should just break out into laughter but, but please stop breaking out in tears okay When you give, there should be a joy, a note of joy that is associated with you, because you're doing what Jesus did. You're doing what the Father does. You're displaying the family likeness. Here's the second thing. It should be honorable. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8.21, as he's collecting this offering that he's taking to needy people, he says the church sent with him people so that they could Um, make sure that that offering was properly administrated because it was going over many miles and they didn't want to to be accused of pilfering from that offering. So he says, other brothers have accompanied us because we have have respect for what is right in the sight of all men. You need to give to ministries where you know, you know that things are being properly stewarded, there's accountability, there's audits, you know and you have trust that it will be done the right way. Here's the third thing, it's sacrificial. Paul said to the Philippians, he said, the gift that you've sent to me, and he was in prison for his ministry, and he said, you've sent a gift, you guys are going to send a shoebox, we're going to send gifts all over the world, you support church planting here and all over the world, you become somebody who's a contributor, he says, what you've sent to me is an offering of sacrifice up to God. How does coin turn into incense? coins turn into incense when they're offered in the support of what God is doing in all the world. So, of course, none of us would hesitate to support Paul. None of us would support to do that. Well, there are are contemporary Pauls all over the world that are doing great gospel work, and they're worthy of our support. Well, this leads us very briefly to three practices. Here are these three practices we can do that represent that. Here's the first one, tenth thing. That's not a typo. Tenth thing. You expected me to say what? Tithing. Well, tithing, tithe is a Hebrew word that means a tenth. So I thought I'd translate it for you because most people hear tithe and they think two percent. Okay, that's another sermon. But I'll just, I'll just, I'll just leave that there for you. Okay, <laughs> tenthing means. T- <laughs> a tithe is 10%. I had a friend of mine up in Pensacola. He's a pastor. He was teaching his kids about tithing. He had a five year old daughter. He laid 10 pennies out in front of her and he counted up the 10 pennies. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He said, Those are yours. And then he took the 10th penny and he set it aside and he said, Now this one's God's. And she said, Poor God. Okay. <laughs> One of my friends in Tennessee, his name's Mark. Mark's a little crazy. He had a guy at his church. He came to him and he said, pastor, he said, I need prayer. He said, when I made $25,000 a year, I was a tither. It was not hard for me to tithe. I made $25,000 a year. Now my business is going great. I make $250,000 a year and tithing just seems crazy to me. I just don't, I just can't do it. I need you to pray for me. And he says, okay, let's pray. So he took the guy's hands. He said, Lord, please reduce my friend's income back to where he can obey you. (laughs) We give, of course we do. It's God's. You don't give a tithe. That's already his. All right, so then there are alms. That's gifts that we give for those who are in need. Our deacons has a fund that's available. They distribute resources all over the place. It's fantastic. And then, of course, there are what I'll just call horizons giving. Things that are off on the horizons. Things that are in the future. You give to things like building schools and planting churches. Things you may not see the fruit of for years to come. They're down there. It takes three years, folks, to get decent asparagus out of a garden. It can take decades, generations, to raise up godly, believing, apostolic churches. It takes Giving into the future. And that's what you and I are called to do. How do we do this? Well, my dad, as I've mentioned before, was the church treasurer. Dad died in, uh, just a, a little while ago, as you know. And, but he left a testimony. He trained me. And I want to close with this story about my dad. My dad, when I was a little boy, was a church treasurer at Holy Cross Lutheran Church in Kokomo, Indiana. I grew, up on the, I grew up on the side of a soybean field, and I've been in church planting all my life, even the church my parents were in. Mom played the piano, dad helped out, and uh, it came time to build our first building. And he took me out of the building site. It was a windswept, cold February morning in the middle of central Indiana, and I remember how cold and gray it was, and it was all staked out on the plot. And dad said, here's, here's where the fellowship room is going to be. And here's where your class is going to be. And I'll be your teacher. Pay attention. He said, he said Here's where the pastor's study is going to be. That's where the sermon's going to be prepared. Here's where the nave is. This is where the congregation's going to sit. Here's where the altar rail is. This is called the chancel. I'm getting, a, I'm getting a lesson in church architecture at age eight. Here's the chancel. This is where the pulpit's going to be. And then he, then he stood there and he said, And here's where the altar's going to be. This is where, because in, in a Lutheran church, you have an altar. Here's where the altar's going to be. And then, on this cold, gray Saturday morning in February out there on this field, my dad reached into his coat, and he pulled out a really sharp trowel, and I got real nervous because I'm thinking, (laughs) altar, my dad, little boy, Genesis is going around and around in my head even then. I'm going, dad, dad. What are you thinking? My dad knelt down and he dug a little hole where the altar was going to go. He dug a little hole. And then he reached in his pocket and he pulled out his cigarettes. Now let me be clear. I'm not saying that smoking cigarettes is a sin. That's not what I'm saying. And that wasn't the lesson my dad gave me. But he took his cigarettes and he, he put them in the ground and he buried them where the altar was going. He tapped it. And he said, son, to build this church, it's going to take a sacrifice. And I'm, I'm going to sacrifice my cigarettes. And you go, well, that wasn't a huge sacrifice. Anybody who says that has never quit smoking. But he did it. He never smoked again. But that's not the point. The point was he was looking for anything he could do to make this happen because he believed in it. And he believed such love had been poured into his heart. And he tapped that dirt down, and he stood there, and he said, I'm giving that. And I thought, this is an amazing moment. Dad, thank you for that. And then he pointed the trowel at me, and he said, what are you going to do? I'm like, what? I'm eight. I, I, I don't smoke. Yet. I mean, I'm a Presbyterian now. I mean, I suppose I could, but I'm... i made bubblegum cards, baseball cards, what? I don't know. Do no, no, here's what happened. He sowed into me the reality that a love that would hang stars in the sky and send the sun to be our Savior, the love that would give a gift like that is worthy of every ounce of our being. And friends, if you've never been a giver before, if you've thought, well, somebody else will take care of that. Somebody else is always the most popular person in every church. Somebody else will do the children's ministry. Somebody else will be the greeter. Somebody else will do the giving. Every member counts. Every member. Every member. You go, well, my gift doesn't amount to much. That's not the point. The point isn't the amount. The point is the heart. Every member of our church should be a giver. Every member. Every member. Why? 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 Every member generosity comes because every member has been given what? Mercy. The greatest mercy is that God so loved us that he sent his son to be our Savior. And so let's be a Magi church. Who came away richer, Jesus or the Magi? The Magi by far. Because they were the first people from the rest of the world to meet Jesus. The first people outside of Israel to ever see the Savior, they were the forerunners of all of us who have been made rich through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the riches of your grace and mercy which you have showered on our lives. We ask you to give us Magi hearts that seek you and offer to you the worship you were worthy to receive and all God's people said.